In this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast, I am joined by Reagan Rust to be discussing the unique needs and demands of female athletes, issues that female athletes are currently facing, problems within coaching for female athletes, and so much more in the world of female sports. Reagan is the perfect person to talk about this stuff with, as she herself is a professional hockey player for the AIK hockey team over in Europe, and she's the former captain of the Boston University NCAA Division I women's ice hockey team. Reagan also hosts the Unpaved Path podcast, and she's the founder of Female Athlete Society, which is an organization that puts community and networking on the forefront of its mission, allowing its members to reach out to other female athletes and provide a necessary support system focused on areas such as nutrition, mental health, recruitment, and building connections. Reagan is an incredible leader. She is 100% herself, and she is a pretty amazing person, as you'll hear throughout this interview. Before we get to this episode, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Reagan, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you on with us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Can you tell the people that are listening a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got into hockey? Yeah, so uh, I am originally from Mississippi, huge hockey town. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Very small, Um, but I play ice hockey professionally here in Stockholm, Sweden, but, you know, I've had a long journey with hockey and I started in Mississippi with the Memphis River Kings. They created a, a little league basically for all of us. And the hockey players are running at the time. They're like, oh, you guys should come, like me and my, my older sister. And they're like, there's going to be so many girls. It's going to be a blast. And then we show up and it's me and my sister and one other girl and 30 little boys. And we ended up sticking with it, traveling all around the country, went to Nashville, Pittsburgh, New York, Boston, every place you could possibly imagine. Um, and yeah, haven't looked back from it. That's incredible. And then from there, you went on to play Division I NCAA hockey as well, correct? Yes, I did. I played two years at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, and then I played two years at Boston University. And now you're playing professionally. That's amazing. There's not a whole lot of, <laughs> is there a lot of women's ice hockey programs in the D1 level or not? There, so I, I think there's like 41 now. Okay. They just introduced a new league. I think that brought in like seven or eight teams. Wow. And then professionally, did they kind of make you go to Europe to play professional or is there a professional women's league in the United States? Yeah. So there's two leagues right now. One of them is the PWHPA. And Mm -hmm. I think there's five different regions. So three in Canada, two in the U.S. Um, And then there's also the NWHL, which is now the PHF. Mm -hmm something like that. Um, and they have teams in Boston and in Canada, uh, in New York. So a oh, wow. few teams there. Um, and then a lot of it is overseas. If you really want to play and just like make that your full-time thing, if you're from the U S yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, I spent eight weeks this past summer in Arizona and, uh, you know, 120 degree sunshine mm-hmm. weather doesn't really spell hockey season, uh, at least to me. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like just in general, going from one place to the the next, you know, I'm from Northeastern PA, so it was a big transition for me going to Arizona. What's it been like for you going from, you know, Southern United States to Northern United States and now all the way over to Europe? What's that transition been like? All of them have been different. You know, like I always thought, cause I went to five different high schools. And so I thought like, oh, I'm really good with change. I can handle it. Then I went to college which was easy because like, you know, when you're a freshman, there's like this whole novelty around like, oh, freshman year is the best year of your life, all that stuff. Um, And then when I transferred to Boston University, that was really tough on me um, mentally, physically, all of that because of uh, some like PTSD and depression that I was going through while I was there. And then now that I've made it through all of that and I'm here in Sweden, this has been one of the easiest transitions I've ever had. And I think it helps that I have a really good team here. Definitely. It definitely helps to have people that are similar mindset around you and have had similar past experiences. And 
I know you wanted to talk a lot about one of your specific past experiences. You mentioned that you did two years of college in Rochester and then transferred to Boston for two years. Now, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but there was something that led you to transfer from Rochester to Boston. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, at the time, like I didn't want to admit it because I didn't want people to look at me differently. But now that like I've made it through it, I am like coming to terms with how abusive my coach was when I was there. Um, mainly like mentally and emotionally he was towards us, but like he created a really bad culture where it made it not fun to go to the rink. Anytime I went into the office with him, I left crying. Um, he said some really mean things to me and like, he said that like we could be open and honest with him about like what we were dealing with. And so I told him about like my depression and how I'm not close to my family and all the stuff that really bothered me deep down. And he ended up throwing a lot of that stuff back into my face and like those private meetings and that like hurt me a lot. Um, and then just like the, the way that he treated people that cared, like I was one of those players that showed up to the rink, was on the ice 30 minutes early, on the ice 30 minutes after practice. And he just treated me like he didn't care about me at all, even though like I was trying to help the team get better. Or he, he would tell me that I was a selfish player. I had a bad attitude, but you know, when I talked to the captains on the team or like my friends on the team, they're like, we don't see you that way whatsoever. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not making this stuff up, but right. it was a big battle. <laughs> right. So you had a lot of past things that you were trying to work through and hockey was kind of your, it seems like your outlet, your escape. And you were willing mm -hmm. to put in the extra time, the extra effort it took to be know a great hockey player and you just didn't get the respect and understanding that you really needed at the time from your coach yeah and that's really difficult because a lot of athletes I've talked with they really look up to their coach a lot of coaches are former players mm -hmm. themselves so they often look to a coach as someone who's going to understand what it's like to be in their shoes and I can imagine that would really hurt when you have a coach who just doesn't get it or you know, they just, like you said, they don't give you the time of day. You're there and you think that you have a, under, a mutual understanding between them, but instead mm -hmm. you're just kind of disrespected for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Now that's not a unique problem to one specific sport, one specific gender. This is something that really plagues a lot of sports across the world from mm -hmm. the youth level to the collegiate level to even the professional level. As we're recording this uh, just a few days ago in the NFL, the Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer was fired after um, mm -hmm. the kicker was reporting that uh, Urban Meyer was kicking him uh, or something like that. I didn't read the full yeah. story, but it's just crazy how this issue of toxicity in the leadership of a team is so widespread any idea why that is or have you heard any similar stories that really stuck out to you just in interacting and engaging with your teammates and other athletes yes I've heard so many stories since I think you saw the TikTok since I put out that TikTok so many people have reached out to me saying how they lost the love of their love for the game because of a coach, the way they treated him, like they didn't see him as people. Um, I saw a story on my Instagram. It was about the, I don't want to get this wrong, but it was, I think it was national wheelchair basketball, um, the women's team. And they did well in the Olympics, the Paralympics. And, but that coach was like abusing them mentally and they reported it and reported it, nothing happened. And then just recently they named him the head coach again. And there was like an uproar from the players and like everyone else that was, that knew about the association. And I was like, how do these people just keep getting put in these high positions with all this power when they're not good people? So yeah, yeah something, seems, something seems amiss there, especially when there's so many complaints against them. Something doesn't mm -hmm. add up there. Now, I like you brought up a couple things there. One, this is something that kind of impacts people chronically. It's not just a 
you know, oh, we have a bad coach and we'll just, you know, trade teams or transfer teams or change teams somehow and move on. Mm -hmm. This is a longer lasting issue where some athletes literally lose their love of the game and the competitive edge. And that has impacts on mental health, on physical health. Um, I was working with a athlete from a training standpoint about, about a month ago, month and a half ago from when we we're recording this. And he was a hockey player himself. But after he got out of hockey, he just didn't feel like doing anything. He was so burnt out. And he came to me and he was easily 60 to 70 pounds overweight. And he was just like, look, I don't really know how I got here and I don't really know where to go from here. But his whole physical and mental health just turmoiled downhill in the years that followed his exit from uh, sports. And that's something that we'll talk, talk a little more about it later. Um, but we can talk about how, you know, these issues, again, they're more chronic in nature. They don't just come up and disappear one day. And you also hit on the social media piece, which I think is huge, is we now have a vehicle or an avenue to share stories like this and make them public, make them known. Because before, stuff like this, it happened all the time, but no one even knew about it. There was no way to yeah. share that message. So it's very powerful for people like you to be able to share that and empower others to do the same thing. You also mentioned mm -hmm. that this is kind of a society, like a cultural problem within coaching. So how do you think people can go about cultivating a better team culture from a coaching standpoint? Did you have a better team culture when you were at Boston? What was, what was different? It was completely different when I went to Boston. Um, I speak so highly of all my teammates there, all the training staff that we had, the coaches, everything. Um, this is just like one example though. My coach really cared about us, not just players, but as like the person that we are, like what we want to do in the future, what were our goals, all of that. And he helped us every step of the way. Like if we needed him to call somebody or if he had a contact, he was more than willing to help us. But um, this is when I knew that I could sort of relax once I got there. So it was probably a couple of months in. And I was driving to Pittsburgh um, to go visit friends and stuff. And I had told him about this maybe like two months earlier. And so I don't know how he had this exact date in his head where he would call me. But as I'm driving there, he calls me. He's like, hey, Reagan. I was like, what's up, coach? How are you? He's like, no, I was just trying to see, like, are, are you in Pittsburgh again? I was like, I'm on the drive right now. <laughs> like, how did you remember that? He was like, oh, like. I don't know. I just want to check in and see how you're doing. I was like, wow, thank you. <laughs> and like, I just felt so much relief hearing from him and like hearing how much he cared. So like the culture that he created started with him, like all the players that come back, all of the alumni, they say that they come back because of him. Like the program is special because of the coach and the culture that he created from the top to the bottom. So how would you recommend other coaches go about cultivating a similar culture and mindset approach within their teams. Uh, and this can be for any sport. Obviously, we're talking mostly about hockey here, but this applies to any sport, any age, really. Yeah, trust is a huge thing. We, like, I trust, and I still trust all of them at um, BU. And I think, like, he chose really good leaders, and he's chosen them from the start of his 15-year-long run. Um, and, you know, when I first got there, my captains made it very clear that like how important we were and like how everyone had their role and that we all had to buy into our role and um, trusting each other, having common goals in mind and not talking about each other behind our backs. If we had an issue, whether it was with our coaches or with our other teammates, we went and talked to that person specifically. And like, that was a team rule. And um we tried to leave as much as we could off the ice because when we were on the ice, that was when we need to be like our best team. Um, and so like you could settle things off the ice if you're having issues with someone. Definitely. That's, that's huge. Creating a open environment where all types of communication are welcome uh, and being able to separate the on ice from off ice time is huge because so many people have, you know, things go wrong every single day. 
something doesn't go as you initially planned or, you know, you get a bad phone call or bad exam grade, whatever it is, you always have these little hiccups in your day. And if you're constantly bringing that negativity onto the competitive side of things, then your game is going to be off. But think of how that impacts the rest of your team. Uh, yeah. Having that understanding that your actions have a bigger impact than just on yourself is huge. Uh, one and two, being able to understand, like you said, that everyone has a role, everyone has a job to do on the team, and you have to fulfill that job in order for the whole team to play at their best, right? The goalie isn't going to be up there trying to score a goal, right? They're the goalie, yeah. they block the goals. So if everyone does their job, then the whole team functions as a uniform, uh, united system to win the game. Uh, when people go out and do their own thing, so more, I, I don't want to say selfish, but acting in their own interest instead of the team's interest, that's when things kind of go awry. Uh, so I really yeah. like that you brought those points up. Uh, yeah, another thing I want to add too is, you know, there's over 20 plus women on this sports team, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, we have like our hormones and we have our cycles and all that stuff. But we also know that like school and life and family is like super stressful. And so if we see that someone's having a bad day, we never let it go unnoticed. Like we made sure that they knew that we were there if they wanted to talk. So like that was another piece that was super beneficial even for me. Um, when I lost one of my friends to suicide, my junior year, I wasn't able to talk about it, but I did tell one of um, the trainers at the time and he made sure to tell the other coaches and I get onto the ice and I'm like literally tearing up because I want to be there, but I'm also in a lot of pain. And like each coach came up to me individually and was like, we're here for you, whatever you need, like, please let us know. And if you can't be here today, that's okay. Like take what you need. Yeah. I'm one really sorry to hear about that loss, but two, it's nice to know that the coaches and your team were so supportive of you at that time, mm -hmm. because sometimes practicing or playing, you know, a regular season game or whatever it is, sometimes that's not as important as the other things in life. So you really have to be able to weigh that. And it sounds like they were able to help you do that. One thing you kept saying was, you know, I told this coach and he, I told this coach and he, mm -hmm. on a woman's team of 20 or 20, whatever, uh, female athletes, did, did you have any female coaches or trainers or was everyone male? Oh, we did. I just, so our head trainer was a female. And then the grad assistant who like, I was pretty close with cause I had hung out with him all summer training. Mm -hmm. um, he was the first person I told. And gotcha. so he contacted like my head coach, my head coach told my two assistant coaches who were both female. So we had a lot of women, which was very good for us. Right, right. I was gonna say, it's nice to know that you have like a female sports team that has female athlete issues that can talk with former female athletes about those issues because uh, there's some things that well, admittingly, guys just can't relate to. So yeah, it's nice to for know sure. You, you have that connection <laughs> system there. Um, I'm curious too, while we're on that point, did they talk to you at all about any of the different kind of health and fitness things that we see in female athletes? So um, for example, uh, ACL tears are 20 to 30% more likely to occur in the first two days of a woman as of a female cycle. Have they discussed any of that with you from like the training standpoint at no. all? that's news to me now <laughs> I had no idea yeah that's that's been something I've often thought of is we have female sports we have male sports and we have no issue telling guys in general about you know the benefits of testosterone and different things along those lines but we never really go on to the injury prevention side from the female perspective, from the female side of things, because there's so much of a role that estrogen and other uh, physiological processes, I'll call them, play in the development of injuries. And it always kind of perplexed me as to why this wasn't, you know, discussed with female athletes or um, the female athlete triad. 
So things like malnutrition and lack of sleep and under eating and all these different things that can impact your performance, but also your lung, like longevity and overall long-term health. Um, so that's something too that I'm hoping becomes a more common discussion in uh, female athletes and female sports teams moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think I learned about that at the beginning of this year that that was a thing, and I was like, why did no one tell me about that? So like the days that I'm feeling like crap, it's probably because of like my cycle, <laughs> and like when I feel like I can't lift as much or I'm lifting a lot more than I usually do, and I was like. Oh, well, that now it makes sense. Like it's all having to do with my cycle and how I perform and how I sleep. So I'm with you on that. They need to teach that. Right. And it's, they're awkward conversations to have, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you, you kind of have to cross that line at some point, you know, this is people's health we're talking about. And as long as everyone is polite and respectful about that sort of thing, and you're acting in everyone's best interest, then, Hey, you got to do what you got to do. But yeah, it's so funny that it's an awkward conversation, though, because everyone knows that women get their period. <laughs> like, it's a normal thing. And I'm pretty sure at BU, like our equipment manager, who was a guy, packed a bag of tampons and like pads and stuff for us in our equipment bag. So that we always had it in case we needed it. And ponytails, those were in there, too. Wow. Well, props to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's other topics that just kind of become awkward for people to talk about too, right? It's not just reproductive. Sometimes it's like gut health. We've done two or three uh, podcasts in the past month and a half or so about gut health, right? And for some reason, people just don't like talking about poop. It's kind of like <laughs> taboo or whatever. And it's like, look, this is your health. This is your body. This is reality. And if you don't want to talk about it, then, you know, you're never going to learn how to best take care of yourself so to speak you know it's yeah. not like it's not like they give you an owner's manual for the human body we, we wish right yeah well I mean if you talk to any women's hockey team they probably take pregame poops together so <laughs> that that wouldn't be anything new for us we're not embarrassed so we talked a little bit about what needs to go on as like a shift relating to the mindset within uh, college sports and professional sports through your experiences. Do you think in general that this problem has been mostly on the coaches or has it been more on kind of the universities or organizations that hire the coaches or is it a player's problem and how they perceive the coaches and how they interact with them? Like, is this a multifaceted problem? How, how do you think this whole issue really came about? It def like I always say, especially with leadership, things start from the top. And so, mm -hmm. you know, like with the NCAA, how can we report to the NCAA like abuse from coaches? Is there a vetting process by the NCAA or by the university for these coaches? Like, do they have psychological backgrounds? Do they have um, lessons on how to talk to their student athletes? Do they get all this um, training done before they are even allowed to coach, which is like, um, you know, if you're gonna, if you're a male coaching female athletes, you should know about what goes on with female athletes and their period and all that. Um, or like mental health, like they should be trained in that as well, because that's it's so important, especially with student athletes, like they experience a high rate of depression and anxiety. Um, and then again, it goes on to the players and athletes that, at the end of the day, like nobody's going to know that you're dealing with something outside of sport. So you have to speak up about it. Like it's on you as well. And if you're struggling, maybe you should talk to some of your other teammates and see if they're struggling. And if everyone has a collective problem with a coach, where do they go from there? So it happens that I think everybody has to take responsibility for their own actions. Um, but definitely at the top, like the NCAA and these schools need to protect their players. For sure. Do you know if there's like a requirement of what coaches have to have as like a background in order to coach at a collegiate or professional level? Like, do they have to have like a degree or certain trainings or anything like that? Or can pretty much anyone do it? I, you know, I feel like it, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure anyone 
can do it as long as like they've had some type of hockey background, some type of hockey coaching. Um, but like for me right now, I'm getting USA hockey certified. So I just got USA hockey certified number one, and this is to work with just 14 new kids. And so like, I'm going through these different trainings and I have like a, um, a police background check, all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure they have to have at least that, but that should be the bare minimum. Like they should have way more than just what a 14 new coach should have. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting to me how we make it easy for people to get into coaching. And yet there's like, like we just said, an overall lack of, you know, training that goes into that. So I remember growing up playing travel soccer uh, and we traveled all throughout PA and New York state and that sort of thing. Our coach, I don't believe was CPR certified. I don't believe that he had ever really played soccer before himself and he didn't have any formal like training or anything like that, but he was coach. Um, so, you know, practices consisted mostly of scrimmaging one another. Uh, and um, in the high school, when I played uh, varsity, it was pretty much conditioning. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, skilled practice, at least for some of the time I played high school, there was a little coaching shift at one point, but most of the mm -hmm. practice was conditioning. And the whole thought then was if you're in better shape than the other team, then you would win the game. And it's like, you know, we're not actually teaching anyone the fundamentals of the sport though. No one's learning any skills here. All we're doing is working out and calling ourselves soccer players. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's always kind of been a mystery to me as to, you know, how certain people end up where they are coaching the teams that they are when it seems, at least from an outsider perspective, that they don't have a whole lot of knowledge about the sport. And, you know, perhaps I'm wrong about that. And perhaps I'm judging uh, some individuals incorrectly. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time that's happened, but that's just my perception of it. And you seem to have a pretty similar view, at least in some cases. Yeah. Now I work with a lot of different female athletes and the things that they say about their coaches and not believing in their coaches is unreal. Like the qualifications are not there. It's like sometimes for youth, just anyone's dad can coach, even if they have never played before, they just get certified. And like in my certification group, there was about 70 of us. And I'd say half of them were like, I've never played hockey, but I'm coaching now. I'm like, Oh God, like you're the one that's coaching our youth. Like good for you for like wanting to be there for your kids, but we need people that actually know what's going on. So at least they are trying to learn, which is the good thing. But like, even my friends in the D one level, they, in every sport have said that, Oh, I've had a crazy coach. I've had a coach that had no idea what they were talking about. Like not just women, but also men's coaches. So Right. We can't get away from it. <laughs> right. I will give those uh, ones that you were in the course with big credit, though, because they're at least seeking out additional mm -hmm. knowledge and insight where they didn't have it before. Um, so do you think that would be a way to remedy the problem is just put in requirements where if you want to coach, you have to take like a basic certification course, so to speak? Yeah, especially for like youth kids, you need to know like what their body needs, you need to know what type of training. So like, for USA Hockey, they break it down for you, like what percentage should be um, skills, what percentage should be training and conditioning, what percentage should be um, systems. So like learning actually what hockey is and like the systems and how to break it down and everything. And it's different for every age level. So I highly recommend that, especially the youth, youth level. Um, but for college, I feel like there should be way more in place because mm -hmm. it's a paid position. Like, yes, your full-time job you need to be good. Yeah. And you need to understand the long-term implications of whatever actions you're taking. Uh, so I'll use a baseball example here. I'll try and mix it up between some different sports. So with baseball, one of the most famous positions is the pitcher, right? You know, you can't win a game unless you have someone decent throwing the ball. Well, pitchers, are always throwing on one arm. So they're using one arm over and over and over again. And over time, that actually causes structural changes in the shoulder. So their shoulder joint externally rotates more than the other shoulder. 
So it moves in ways the other one doesn't. And while that's really advantageous for pitching, that's really not good for pretty much anything else that you would uh, do in life. So from a uh, exercise and fitness perspective, we would see issues with people who have more motion on one side than the other with movements like a bench press or overhead press or any kind of pressing or pulling movement with their upper body. But mm -hmm. the thing is that that applies more to just life than exercise, right? How often do people have to reach up overhead for stuff or lift things up overhead? So if we're wearing- Or hold their kids. Yeah, and now we're wearing down one joint more than the other, you know, you that would be something that at least if I was a coach, I'm not, but I would at least have that conversation with players. Like, you know, look, what is your goal? You know, we can do as much as we can to make you, you know, high performer right now, but just realize that every action has a consequence. And, you know, if we have you pitching hard, throwing hard over and over and over again, eventually you will see adaptive changes in the shoulder that will you know impact your ability to do certain things later on in life and if mm -hmm. people are informed and okay of that okay with that then proceed as you normally would but if people are like you know what actually i i i kind of get a little uneasy about that then yeah. at, at least you've made them aware before you've gone and caused permanent changes to their body because you can really only mold and shape bone through repetitive stresses like throwing and it's kind of hard to undo them once they're done yeah and other shifts that need to be made so we talked a little bit about the team approach we talked a little bit about the coaching approach and we talked a little bit about the possibility of requiring like a base certification or a base, just some form of education for coaches, especially if they're in a professional or collegiate environment where they're actually getting paid quite well to coach. Do you see any other kind of more cultural shifts that need to be made in the way of sports? Is there any issues that, you know, the way society views female sports that kind of play into how uh, maybe how a college would view the program or how you as athletes would um, go about in the program? Is there any other like bigger picture things that you can think of? The topic of mental health, I think needs to be way, spoken about way more than it is currently. I know, you know, at BU, we would have a couple conversations like at the beginning, like here's your resources, this is student health services, uh, we would have a speaker come in, talk to the entire like student athlete body. But besides that, like it, there wasn't much said about mental health. And so I know a lot of guys that played different sports, whether they were crew or track or soccer, like they dealt with major mental health issues and they didn't know how to talk about it at first because nobody was telling them really about this, that like they have feelings and that they should be able to feel those feelings um, or like how to cope with it. Uh, and so I think mental health, there needs to be way more done, um, whether it's hiring more sports psychologists, because I know right now, I think the NCAA only demands one or only requires one sports psychologist for an entire school. And at BU, we have 500 athletes. So that's an issue in itself. Yeah, that person's very overwhelmed, aren't they? Yeah, and half the time, I didn't even know that we had a sports psychologist at BU. So I was going outside using my own means and resources to get there. And it was a lot for me because I was a broke college student, but I needed to talk to someone. So Right, right. You mentioning uh, the mental health, it made me think of an article and I had to pull it up here. There was an article published back in uh, 2019 about mental health in uh, elite athletes. And they actually found that if you place a system uh, in play that fosters early detection and early intervention for anyone displaying uh, symptoms of mental health, and they have a list of different ones here, um, they actually help to um, acknowledge the role that process, acknowledge the role that mental health plays in overall performance and mm -hmm. led to 
increased physical well-being for the athlete and increased performance for the athlete. So if you want to maximize the performance of an athlete and the longevity of someone from a health standpoint, you can literally do that by taking care of their mind. Uh, and there's so many other books written about that topic too. Um, there's a good one I have on my list to read here called Peak. Um, and that book literally teaches you how to put yourself into a mental flow state. And when you're mm -hmm. kind of in that zone, so to speak, you perform at a much higher level than if you were just kind of looking at this as, you know, just another day, just another thing yeah. I have to do. Uh, so really cultivating the right mindset is huge. And again, that's something that, as we've talked about, it's just missing from sports currently. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you're now, it seems like you're in a better position to get access to people who specialize in that sort of thing. And that's probably helped you tremendously as well. Yeah, 100%. I think I was fortunate enough. Well, <laughs> it's, I guess, how you frame it. I've been going to a psychologist since I was in 11th or 12th grade. And so, like, I've already understood, like, the effects that mental health can have on the mind. And I've been experiencing depression, anxiety since I was a freshman in high school. And so like going to college, I was like, oh, I should probably brace myself for this. So I think I had an upper hand compared to most athletes who hadn't suffered from it before. So I think, you know, they've been talking about it now within like work, the workplace and everything like that, but like mental health days, they should be a real thing. And I think coaches should allow their players to have mental health days because it's so important. Um, and I think that a lot of schools should start implementing courses that kids can take in order to understand their mind. So like reading that book, instead of having to just read it on your own, having someone actually teach it to you so you can ask questions and like try to put it into place. Um, but I know like, for example, at Ohio State, they have four sports psychologists um, that are full-time. And so I'm pretty sure that they have this, um, it's like an app on the phone. They take a little quiz before when they wake up or like when they go to sleep or right before practice. And it's just like, how's your day been going so far? Like what's causing you stress, all that stuff. And so they just rate it on like a scale of one to 10. And I think like, that's genius. Like you should be checking in with your players every single day. Right. Like a daily check-in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, did they, do you know if they developed their own form for that or if they're using one? That was a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because that made me think of um, back in spring of 2021, I actually uh, did a health promotions project and we utilized something called the GAD7 as a mm -hmm. outcome measure to look at the correlation between uh, phone screen time, anxiety, and heart rate variability, which is a great measure of cardiac health. But mm -hmm. that's a seven item free scale that you can get online. And to be able to take that daily or to administer that to players daily, what's it going to take them to fill out seven quick questions, like 20 seconds max? Mm -hmm. uh, that can be something that you can use over time, track that data. And, you know, knowledge is power, as I like to say. So if you mm -hmm. literally have a program assistant or coach assistant or whatever, give those uh, forms, those numbers to that person and have them put it in an uh, Excel sheet. And then you can kind of track uh, the flow over time. So mm -hmm. that's a seven item question that I said, looked at anxiety. So if you're a college coach, for example, you could use that and track the team's anxiety levels throughout the semester. Maybe they go way up during midterms. Maybe they go way down following or vice versa. Maybe they're, you know, normal at midterm exam time, but they go way up right following. So yeah. being able to track those trends is going to help you understand your team, understand your athletes so much better. A hundred percent. I think that's a great idea. And you also hit on the point of education and I can't echo that enough. Um, I come from the physical therapy background side of things. And there was a article that I uh, shared with someone about a month ago uh, in the Journal of Neuroscience from 2004. And this article actually showed that people who have chronic pain have decreased uh, gray matter in different areas of their brain. So we're talking about individuals who have chronic pain 
literally their brain changes its structure and function. Like there's changes in the density of the gray matter in a number of different areas in response to that pain. So I just don't think in general that people are aware of what the long-term implications of, you know, poor mental health and physical health and that sort of thing are on their entire mm -hmm. life. Right. You know, this, like your brain is your, one of your most important organs kind of need it. So if, yeah. if you're in pain and things aren't going well for you, well, it's going to have a much more negative effect long-term. Um, so I completely mm -hmm. echo your point on a increased need for education and outreach. And that's where people like you really shine, right? Because you've been through all these things, you see the issues, and now you're going out of your way to share them on social media, on podcasts, on so many different platforms. And I really applaud yeah. you for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, so, it's really tough. Like, oh, sorry. No, you should keep going. <laughs> Go, so like going towards like how your brain changes and everything, a lot of people forget that but when you're depressed, obviously you're really tired as well. And so like as a student athlete, that affects you so much. And then even when I was really depressed in my time, like I would forget a lot of stuff, especially like if people told me like something important about their lives, like I wouldn't even remember that they told me that stuff. And I always would feel so bad, but I was like, I literally like, I can't, I can't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, can you tell me again? Right. So, and that, that kind of creates a downward spiral, a little snowball effect from there, right? Because then you go into the classroom because you're in college, you still have to take classes and do well enough to play and all. And now you have to, you know, if you're not remembering stuff from the lecture, now you have to study it more. And that's more time that you're putting into classes. And you have the crazy travel schedule, which I'm sure that was super fun for you to try and juggle, right? <laughs> yeah it was actually less traveling at BU so that was nice but still a lot of moving a lot of practice yeah I I'm the kind of guy that I'm cranky if I get to bed half an hour later than normal <laughs> and I I sleep like seven to seven and a half hours a night like that's my like sweet spot and if I sleep yeah. too much more than that or too much less than that like my whole day is just off so I don't know how <laughs> you could have been so flexible to have like, you know, the 5am, 6am wake ups or probably even earlier mm -hmm. than that for ice time, different times. And then the late yeah. nights for away games, like that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, even my summer times were packed because when I transferred to BU, like I lost a lot of credit from courses I'd taken. So I had to retake accounting and I had to retake statistics, all that stuff. And I think my busiest summer ever was I would wake up at 5am. I would be on the ice doing whatever drills they had me do at like 5:45. Finish my workout by 7:30. Get ready. Go to my internship, which was a nine to five at like a corporate TJX companies. If you ever heard of it, like TJ Maxx Marshalls. And then from at 5 p.m., I had to be out because I had to make my class. I was at six, so I had to drive back into Boston. And I was from like six to 9:30 was my class. Busiest summer ever. Never want to do it again. <laughs> I was going to say that sounds absolutely wild. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful to not have had a summer quite like that, but that's, <laughs> that's insane. And I'm sure you had a whole lot of fun trying to get back into Boston with that city traffic, huh? I was late to class every day, but hey, I passed. So that's all that matters. <laughs> it worked for you. I've heard yeah. Boston drivers aren't that good. Is that true? Yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> they, they call them mass holes. <laughs> that's the term for them. Wow. Well, we've said a lot of bad things about coaching in different states of athletics right now. And, you know, we've offered a lot of terms for improvement, but trying to end on a little bit more of a positive note, have you noticed any good things that are being done currently in the realm of athletics and sports? Yes. Um, you know, athletes speaking up has been so much higher in the past couple of years especially over the pandemic where they're talking about their mental health so like Simone Biles or um I think who is the football player Dan Hurth is that the name might be wrong but it's okay um and then there's the goalie for the 
Vegas Golden Knights and there's NBA stars and it's just like everyone's finally starting to speak up about what they deal with and I think even the NFL recently they put I think the NFL players were pushing for mental health initiatives because of like all the CTE that goes on and everything so I think the trend for mental health is becoming popular and I'm super grateful for that that more people are speaking up about it definitely now do you think the pandemic acted as like a catalyst for that or do you think this was something that was going to happen regardless I think it was going to happen but the pandemic sped everything up because for the first time people had to sit with their thoughts Mm-hmm. And they couldn't distract themselves because we were all stuck at home. And so like, what are you going to do? You can only call so many friends on FaceTime before it gets old. And um, I think we were so used to having such a busy life that like taking that step back is exactly what everyone needed, even if it didn't feel like it at the time. Right. Sometimes that stillness is actually the key. Uh, mm-hmm. And you brought up a lot of different, you know, higher level athletes and performers who have uh, started discussing mental health problems. And it kind of leads us to a questioning of, you know, what is the future of sports going to look like from a athletic training and preparation and competitive standpoint, because these things do take a toll on your body mentally and physically. So how is it we can find new innovative ways to increase things like physical performance and promote mental health while still maintaining a higher level of play? Um, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of places are doing it well. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but we look at some of the statistics of, you know, current athletes and they're breaking records that, you know, people never thought were possible, right? So Tom Brady's in the NFL and he's playing into his mid forties. Uh, mm-hmm. Steph Curry broke the record for most three pointers not too long ago in the NBA, and he's still got most of his career left. So athletes are getting better and better. Um, I just, I don't know the exact systems that, you know, went into making Tom Brady or making Steph Curry uh, myself because I've, you know, I've not worked with them uh, personally. Um, Yeah, anyways, but um, it's just interesting to me how there's clearly some kind of shift going on and we're starting to see more and more um, people break those old records and use a newer approach, a newer style. It's just a matter of what that newer style is. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps, especially with those professional athletes who make millions every year. They have the time <laughs> to focus on recovery and pay people hundreds of thousands of dollars to help them recover. So that definitely helps for sure. I think you, mean um, you don't make millions. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it's definitely a lot harder for female athletes, especially like, you know, I have a lot of friends in hockey and a lot of friends in soccer that had to work full-time jobs. I even had to work a full-time job my first year professionally. And so it's, it's really tough because we want to put out the best performance, but we don't have that time to recover or get that workout in or get extra ice time and work on skills. So, you know, the guys, now that they have it easier because their sports just as difficult, but they do have the means to support the recovery that they need. Is that common amongst other female sports as well, do you know, or is it mostly just uh, hockey? Uh, Yeah, a lot of my soccer friends, lacrosse doesn't make that much money either. Um, Basketball gets paid a little bit more because the WNBA, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it all all depends, and a lot of girls have to have jobs on top of it. Right. Now, Do you think that's another thing that the pandemic helped with because you could at least work from home or work, you know, a little bit more on your own schedule instead of regimented have to be here at this point, have to go there at that point, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, when the pandemic first started, I was still working my corporate job and I was able to train like at lunchtime or I would finish because I was in California at the time. So I'd work to get in whatever workout I needed. I could eat, make food at home. Whenever I was hungry, I could actually go eat, which was so nice (laughs) versus like when you're in the office, like you kind of just have to hold out and be like, oh, I'll be home soon, you know? Yeah, for sure. What what, what was the go-to snack during the pandemic? (laughs) I would, uh, this is just the worst snack possible, but I would (laughs) make nachos in the microwave. (laughs) 
so easy. 30 seconds, put some chips and some cheese and that's all I needed. I, uh, I highly anticipate this uh, becoming a TikTok cooking trend here. Your uh, microwave <laughs> nachos and uh, yeah, just a quick, easy thing. I like it. Mm. Reagan, is there anything else you want to share with uh, those listening about your own journey uh, through college and professional sports or just about any of the things we've talked about from current issues in coaching and sports to possible solutions to those issues? Yeah, I will probably give something somewhat motivational, but <laughs> believe in yourself. If I've learned anything from everything that I've been through in my journey through hockey sports, the life after sports, all of that. It's so like, I had to believe myself more than anyone else did because at the end of the day, I was the person that had to put in the work. Um, and, you know, also like own your feelings. You need to understand what you're feeling. You need to understand your emotions and not put it in the backseat because like we've seen with the pandemic, it's so important to, be able to take a step back and see like, oh, maybe I just need to go take a nap instead of trying to push through this workout or trying to push through this work, like this extra work that I do for work. Um, but yeah, own your emotions and believe in yourself for sure. That is great advice. Uh, it makes me think of a quote from, um, forget what he was. I think he was from Syria. Uh, I think his name was Publius Cyrus. I'm going to butcher that name. It's P-U-B-L-I-U-S for those at home. Uh, he, he has a quote that I really like. It says, would you have a great empire? Rule over yourself. And that seems to be something that you've really taken uh, to heart is you really focus on the things that you can control and not dwell on the things that you can't control too much. And you really focus on the things that you need to do and what you have uh, available to you. And by optimizing those things, you've created a pretty impressive sports career and a pretty impressive uh, community outreach at this point through uh, the power of social media. And you're empowering and inspiring people across the world, people who you might have not have even met before, uh, to really stand up and speak out about the issues that they're facing. So really applaud you for that. And Really hope you continue to do those amazing things that you've been doing, Reagan. Well, I appreciate it. That actually made me so happy. <laughs> Thank you for those kind words. Of course. Thank you so much for your time and for coming on to the uh, podcast with us today. Yeah, for sure. It was a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. For more on Reagan and the Female Athlete Society, make sure you check her out on TikTok at Reagan Rust, on Instagram at rea.rust, and at Female Athlete Society. You can also find her website, www.reaganrust.com. We link to all of that below in the notes in case you didn't quite catch it. Please make sure you check out the rest of our awesome podcast episodes here on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. And if you find any you like, make sure you share them with a friend and share them on social media. We'd love to get the word out and continue to help other people and just share the great message that we give as it relates to health and fitness. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.